0: No more to Arahato go ato, arahatua, sama, sambudha, sam. No more to sob, go ato, arahatua, sama, sambudha, sam. to I thought perhaps this evening I could hopefully usefully talk about this conundrum that so many of us find ourselves in with wanting to make progress in our spiritual practice. Whilst wanting to do well, wanting to improve, wanting to see progress, wanting to develop is all perfectly understandable. Uh, if, uh, for anybody who's been meditating for any period of time, they, they probably had this experience of realising that it's easy to create uh, obstructions by wanting. So we can't help but want, but wanting doesn't help. Yeah, you know, like if you made some effort and had some, well, for some people, even without making any effort, you have a spontaneous uh, deepening or opening and shift in perspective and increased awareness and aliveness, and and then you think, well, that was good. I'd like to do that again, and so we. Uh, adopt various strategies and practices to see if we can bring it about, if we can have that experience again or have an even better experience. We want something from our spiritual effort. And we can really tie ourselves up in knots over this because you know, the reality is that we, for so long, we've been identified as this movement in mind that we call wanting that we call desire for so long we've felt ourselves to be the one who is wanting this is me I want yeah. it's been that way for so long that to even imagine letting go of it feels weird you know it doesn't feel right like and you know, if I let go of wanting to develop I'm not going to develop that's the kind of crazy thought that we have you know if I let go of the desire to be enlightened, then I won't get enlightened. From the perspective of deluded egoity, and, you know, we're caught up in uh, excess of self-importance, you know, that's how it appears. It really feels important, significant, essential even, to hold on to this wanting in this way. And yet... it doesn 't help us we still we can have all sorts of of odd things happen we try harder and harder and you know, sometimes you, know, you get up for your meditation, your eyes are all blurry because we've been concentrating so hard to, to do something in our spiritual life and emotional turmoil can come about and or physical sensations and, and, and physical movements, spontaneous physical movements and, and excessive mental activity, memories that we, we just never thought about for years and years and come in this process of trying hard to get somewhere. And yet we can't stop trying. So this conundrum is, I think, very normal. and something that many of us, if not all of us, would have come across at some time. And this is not new. There's um, there's plenty of advice in this. You certainly read the transcribed, translated talks of Ajahn Chah. You'll hear him talking about uh, learning to understand desire and some of the difficulties that can come from when we don't understand it. And, and then in the scriptures, the Buddha, of course, also... Uh, talking about this, in the collection of teachings that uh, come to be known as the Dhammapada, there's one of my very favourite images uh, that the Buddha conjured up. He was he was the Buddha was famous. The Buddha was well known for for the similes that he would create, these images that he would create to communicate a message. He had a message that was his realization that. Freedom from all suffering is possible. He had this message that it's possible. You know, suffering is not an obligation. And to communicate this message, he didn't just use linear logical explanation analysis. He did use that, but not only that, he also often used images. And so one of my favorite images comes in this verse thirty-four, which says, Like a fish. That has been dragged from its home in the water and thrown up onto dry land will thrash about. So the heart will tremble as it withdraws from the current of Mara. Hmm. This fish will thrash about on that dry land, when it's thrown up on dry land. So will the heart tremble as it withdraws from the current of Mara. And Mara here being the force of deluded egoity caught up in excessive self-importance and uh, presumably anybody who's following the Buddha's path to some degree will have seen that this being caught up in a state of excessive self-importance deluded egoity is is, that's the problem That's, that's what we need to get to that's what we need to look into and you know But if we start looking into it and we start inhibiting and restraining some of our uh, habits of getting caught up in the momentum of the mind, start restraining the movement of the mind, like with formal meditation practice, with this exercise of trying to hold attention steady, and a steady attention, hopefully with, with sufficient mindfulness, not just heedless contracted concentration, which... It can be another expression of trying too hard, but with an expanded sense of presence, uh, steadying our attention, using the meditation object, the sensation of the breath, or the sound of silence, or reflecting on the theme of loving kindness, uh, whatever our uh, structure might be, uh, we make this effort. And if we do it in the right way, Sooner or later, we will see that this inhibiting the momentum of desire can have an effect. It can have a very beneficial effect. The mind can become clear, a sense of expanded awareness, sensitivity. But also, maybe we have the experience that, uh, that... you know, this inhibiting the movement of desire can really throw us out of balance. You know? and it's very tricky. It's, it's uh, not a not something that reading a philosophy book is going to settle for us. You know? You know, desire is a movement. The word desire is just a noise. You, know? and you say the word in many different languages: kwam tonkan and Thai, tanhar and Pali. Or kwam yak and Thai. You know? many different ways of saying this, making a noise that refers to this movement, this movement in consciousness that expresses itself uh, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds. And how do we steady this movement? This is the training. Yeah, this is the training and... And so the conundrum that I was referring to in the beginning there about wanting to progress in practice, but then realizing that wanting in the wrong way creates problems. This is normal. And when we recognize this conundrum, when we we reach the point of saying, all right, this is the field of study. This is the place that I'm going to do my spiritual work. Coming into a conscious, unobstructed relationship to Desire. Just demonising desire, an initial inspection into what's going on, and say, oh, this wanting is is really creating problems, so I'll just stop wanting. Like you can read the Four Noble Truths, and say, desire is a cause of suffering. Oh, well, I'll just stop having desire. Well, you can only move in that direction if you want to stop wanting. If you have a desire to stop following desire. So we can't stop wanting by... Getting, following, wanting. You know, we need something more than that. And so we need this interest. And what are we interested in? Well, I would suggest that what we get interested in is the consequences of getting it wrong. Yeah. We can try to get it right, but if we don't know what right is, how can we get it right? And so again, come back to really attending to what the Buddha said and mindfulness of suffering leads to freedom from suffering. Yeah. The Buddha says, "I teach two things: you know, suffering and the cessation of suffering. Mindfulness of suffering leads to the freedom from suffering." So, here we are. We've got the suffering of being caught up in desire. We get lost in it, and then we suffer, and we follow. We, we, we get interested in that. You know, we don't just think about it. We get interested. In what's really going on there? You know, you know, wanting to, even wanting to be helpful. Yeah. like a parent wanting to help a child. You, know, you can want in the right way or you can want in the wrong way. And if a parent helps in the wrong way, they become overly protective. You know, sooner or later you've got to let go of the child's hand and let them fall over and stand up on their own. Yeah. If you're always holding on to the child's hand or keeping the child in the, in the playpen and they can't experience any can't make any adventurous forays out into the world at all, they don't learn anything. If a parent is overly protective and offers too much support, it may well be out of wanting to stop the child from being hurt, it may be wanting to be helpful, but it's a deluded wanting. And so it is for us. We begin and practice with a deluded form of wanting. We want to progress. But if we don't understand what we're really doing, then we want in a way that creates obstructions. So, what do we do when we suffer from following desire? We get interested in it. What's really going on here? And then we. It's like not being afraid to learn from admitting that we've got it wrong. And not being afraid to talk about right and wrong. Sometimes people get. Uh, you know, they try a little bit too hard to be spiritual and they, they don't even want to use the word wrong anymore. Right and wrong, it's too dualistic and they're afraid of getting lost in in dualistic thinking. Well, actually, lost and found is dualistic thinking. You know, most of the time, most people are lost in dualistic thinking. You know, the wise approach is to work with the dualistic thinking that we've got in a way that helps us see with understanding. And so we see um, the consequences of our wanting in a way that produces suffering. We say, all right, is there another way, is there another way of relating to wanting? Now already this interest is going to nourish or could potentially nourish an expanded quality of awareness. And so instead of just being completely caught up in the wanting, we can expand, create some space, go beyond the movement of wanting itself, get a little bit of feeling of freedom around the wanting, and then we're not lost in the wanting anymore. Already we've actually made progress by letting go of wanting. And then, hopefully, sooner or later, that, that insight arises that letting go of desire is the way to freedom from suffering. Now, in theory, we can read. You can read Ajahn Sumedho's books and and Ajahn Chah's books and read what the Buddha said and about you know, letting go of desire. And you know, but only when we actually really see the consequences of our clinging is the letting go going to happen. Like the right amount of holding. How do you know the right amount of? How do you know about? The right amount of salt to put in the morning porridge. How do you know? Well you you know, you you've got to try. You put too much in and then everybody at breakfast looks at you and you realize you put too much in. Mm. Or you taste it yourself. You taste the porridge, oh that's too much salt. Or not enough salt. We know by through experience, through direct Experience. So, this direct experience of our heart, of our mind, of our body in regards to desire, this is our field of investigation. This is our work. And if we're not too afraid of getting it wrong, then we learn what's right. We come to recognize unskillful relationship to desire and skillful, wholesome relationship to desire but it doesn't happen necessarily according to our desires. You know, we, and this is where uh, the power of patience. Now, if we're totally caught up in wanting to progress, we don't do patience. We don't do gentleness. We don't do kindness. We don't do modesty. And you know, when we're totally caught up in desire, all of those words, patience, kindness, gentleness, modesty, that's for the wimps, you know. Anybody who's serious about spiritual practice is going to embrace the bone breaking, determined, aspiring, enthusiastic effort that that we can feel really good about. Mm. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. Being patient is not just because we don't have any enthusiasm or zeal or aspiration being patient is suitable because it's intelligent because it works like if a parent is not patient with a child learning language you get angry at the child and does that help well, the child just feels it's wrong it's bad it's hopeless like my french teacher she wasn't very helpful because i was a failure at learning french and yeah, she could have been nicer to me. I was trying. Actually, I think I'm probably reasonably good at learning languages. But according to my French teacher in Moronsville College, I'm hopeless. I'm a hopeless case. I think she probably had personal issues and and um, <laughs> projected them onto me. Yeah. So I have now. I have compassion for her. But that's what happens if. Uh, if a parent or a teacher is not patient with the students or the child yeah, it has a bad effect, it doesn't help if we're not patient if we're not patient yeah, just look at that word like the word patience gentle patience, gentle endurance you know, you, if we use these words, if we bring these words into our practice you know, sitting there and we're struggling, we're all over the place, we don't know what to do don't know, am I doing the right thing, am I wasting my time and we're Caught up in desire, caught up in wanting to progress, unintelligent, unhelpful. And just, you know, just like dropping a pebble in a still pool and the the ripples that go out, you just drop in gentle patience, gentle endurance. Just drop those words in and see what happens. They help. Patience helps. Gentleness helps. And kindness helps. Again, another image that, that the Buddha gave us in the Kranimetta Sutta talks about a mother with her only child and you know, protect the child with her life. You know that that selflessness, that state of selflessness that a mother with a young child might be in. And and to hold that image to connect with the heartfelt kindliness. Kindliness helps. In this investigation in this study of, a, of arriving at an unobstructed, skillful relationship with wanting, with desire you know, these qualities make a difference. Mm. Really worth cultivating. Modesty. In the world we live in, you know, modesty is not something we hear a lot about. You know, but in dumber circles you know, somebody who's truly settled in their practice, who's realized uh, is very likely to display a beautiful sense of modesty. Mm -hmm. And when we don't have modesty, what do we have? We can't necessarily really imitate modesty if we don't know what it is. What do we have? We have arrogance. We have excessive ambition. Certain amount of ambition is, is suitable, like desire. But how do we understand ambition? How do we hold ambition? Yeah. How do you hold a child? If you hold a child in the wrong way, you'll hurt the child. Children are uh, intensely sensitive. If you don't hold the child in a suitable way, with enough firmness, you know, maybe drop the child. So, how do we hold? These qualities of heart of mind, you know, ambition and desire, when we're lost in ambition you know, then the passions can take over, and we can get seriously confused and caught up and then our meditation practice we can have so much ambition, maybe we become inspired by a great teacher and and wonderful inspiration, yeah. suitable, and we're fortunate, we're blessed to have a great example maybe of a great teacher who shown us what's possible in this human life and we get inspired to do something really valuable, really relevant, and for the benefit of all beings, not just reacting to conditioned desires. It's something profoundly worthy. But if we get caught up in that ambition and we cling to it, and then I want to become like that. And and that's the unskillful desire, unskillful ambition. And we get caught up in that, and and if it's not tamed, it's not trained, it's not gentled, we don't meet it in a skillful way, and we take it into subtle states of mind, you know, our enthusiasm, our zeal, our... Aspirations for practice. We can concentrate very hard maybe and try with a great deal of effort and maybe we arrive at some subtle place of yeah. uh, increased awareness and sensitivity. But if at that level the clinging takes place yeah. to desire, ouch, yeah. big suffering. Yeah. Our meditation can not take us in the direction of freedom from suffering it can dramatically increase our suffering if if we do experience some increased sensitivity and, and deepening of awareness but we haven't tamed this uh, compulsive excessive wanting you know, trying too hard too quick to get somewhere you know, then those habits can kick in at, at the wrong time and And in that state of of extraordinary vulnerability and sensitivity, we get attached. And then the suffering really increases. And when you get attached in those sensitive states of mind and then come out to everyday awareness, everyday activity, that attachment is going to affect us. It's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very difficult to deal with. Very difficult to get back to that place because of the pain that came from that state of clinging. Hmm. However, if we are still really interested in the reality of suffering, that doesn't have to be a curse. Even that kind of a mistake can be a blessing. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. At least we can we can approach it with that attitude and not simply settle for conditioned reactions of liking and disliking, approving, disapproving and the normal uh, judging, compulsive judging and discriminating attitude that, that we're also good at. Yeah. Not settling for that. And just, just because we're suffering doesn't mean to say we're a failure. You know, suffering is pain with something added. Pain is part of the package. If we're born, we're going to have pain. We're going to have pleasure, we're going to have pain. That's normal on all sorts of levels but pain with attachment added with delusion added uh, with ignorance added becomes suffering so if we get ourselves into such a pickle you know we try too hard and we're in a sensitive state of mind and we cling at that level and we get hurt at that level it's not necessarily the case that it's uh, going to be a disadvantage it probably means that we're never going to be really contented again until we go back and resolve it. Uh, in a way, it's, it's making you know, ignorance intolerable. Uh, it's a sad predicament that so many of us tolerate the level of ignorance that we suffer from. You know, remember when the Buddha, after his enlightenment, for two months, figured, well, he wasn't going to bother teaching anybody because everybody was obviously so ignorant, so unaware creating their suffering and not seeing what they're doing that they, maybe they don't have what it takes and only after some time and with some encouragement did the Buddha come around to recognizing thankfully that there was benefit there are those with but a little dust in their eyes who will benefit from these teachings so he did give the teachings how to come to see that this relationship we have with desire is not a fixed thing. We can investigate it, we can learn from the mistakes that we made, no judgment. What we need to see is when we cling, there will be consequences. But that doesn't mean to say we're bad. When we get lost and we suffer, it doesn't mean to say we're bad. Yeah, maybe maybe it means we were trying too hard, but when we see that we're trying too hard, that's when we can pull back. that's when we learn letting go so thank you very much this evening for your attention <laughs>